All the contact information is on that website. It is, but you can also email us at pod. <laughs> Why did we have to change the email address? Clearly. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of AT Banter. Which episode is this, Rob? (laughs) Yeah, I knew I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Well, we're going to call this episode 21. But if you've been keeping track. (laughs) I'm sure who's going to keep track, really. I mean... Yeah, I know. There's a level of irony that on, on an episode that I complained about math that I managed to get the episode number wrong. But we're just going to call this episode 21. There's a loss. Just for, for those who are keeping track, for those who are who are super fans, <laughs> <laughs> they would really track something like this. There will Let's, be a lost episode. There's a lost episode. Episode 19 is a lost episode. So we, we kind of jump from 18 to 20. And I'm going to say it's because there's a lost episode and not because I can't count. But <laughs> anyways, I am Rob Minot and I am joined by Ryan Flurry today. I am Ryan Flurry, And we have an empty chair. We do. Steve Barkley is not with us this week. He is out in the wild. That's right. He has gone hunting on a little bit of a hunting vacation for the week. For food. For food. Yeah, I should say that. He's not a trophy hunter. He's strictly food. Yummy. He lives several blocks away from a Safeway, so he doesn't have easy access to meat. <laughs> so he needs to go hunting, folks. 400 kilometers away. That's right. <laughs> it all makes sense in hunter's minds. That's people. right. Uh, uh, hopefully he's wearing his orange vest. Yes, that's right. And uh, what are we talking about today? Today, we have the president and CEO of Descriptive Video Works, Diane Johnson, joining us. Yes. So looking forward to that. Should be very interesting, very informative, just kind of how the process all works and yeah. how it all comes together in the end. Yeah, I'm pretty curious about just just how long of a process it is and how it all works. And, you know, how, how do they decide what, what gets described and what doesn't? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Anything interesting happen in the news? I'm still, I just got onto Twitter this morning, like in the last half hour, so nothing I've seen so far. I didn't see much either. Everybody's sleeping over Thanksgiving. Probably. Except Donald Trump. He managed to stir it up. But without Steve here, it's no fun talking about (laughs) Donald Trump, so. (laughs) I'm sure that he would have nothing but great things to say about Gate. Uh, he's been saying some things on Twitter. Has he? Yeah. Oh, there you go, everybody. Check out Steve's Twitter feed for right. an up-to-date assessment of the Donald Trump scandals yep. and clown sightings. Yes, that was on the news on the weekend, talking about the clown sightings. Did really? Mm-hmm. Is there, are there Have there been more? Um, well, I think it was CTV we were watching. They were just saying it seems to be you know, a thing now here locally. Uh, people are just you know doing the 
dress up as clown things and scare people, right? Well, so, it's Halloween. You know, what do you expect? Well, it's fine. It is. Until somebody get, loses an eye. Well, yeah. But if it's a clown, it's okay. <laughs> they deserve it. <laughs> and some people like being scared. That's true. All right. <coughs> no, Rob's got a hairball today. I know. Well, it's still, I'm still getting over this cold. Oh, yeah. It's the, the cough and the, the, you know, is the, always the last thing to go. I tell you, as soon as you feel a cold coming on, start the cold effects regime. Yeah, I've heard Works that. Works for me every know. time. Does it? Yep. Well, every how early time. do you have to take it? As soon as my eyes start getting itchy, I start taking it. Well, see, I don't even think I'm sick by then. Like, I, I, I don't, <laughs> my first, no, seriously, my first, the, thing, the only thing that I clue in on that I'm getting sick is if I start to get a scratchy throat. Yeah, then start taking it. So then start taking so that's yeah. not too late? It, it might be, but it'll probably still shorten the length of time because hmm. it's popping up your immune system. I think it is. People may think it's just all a farce, but it works be. for me. Well, you heard it here, folks. Ryan Fleury, sponsor of Cold FX. Cold FX. <laughs> All right. Well, we're very happy to have with us in studio today, Diane Johnson, who is the president and CEO of Descriptive Video Works. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me in studio. Thanks for thanks for coming out all the way into the wilds of Burnaby to, <laughs> to, to come sit with us. That's right. It's, it's hard great to, get to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe what we should start with is just for people who might be listening who aren't in the the blind community, just give us a a quick definition of what descriptive video is. Sure. Uh, descriptive video is basically painting pictures for people that are blind or vision impaired of what's going on in television and movies and commercials now. Um, I started the company 14 years ago when a lot of people didn't know what descriptive video was. Um, and now, thank goodness, a lot more people know it's something that, um, you know, there's, we think that there's about uh, 25 million people that are blind and vision impaired in North America. And it's right. something that is really important that they be included in everything that uh, everyone else can be, whether it be television shows, whether it be Netflix, movies, whatever. So, and... You mentioned, so it's been around for 14 years? Um, it's been around longer than that, but in Canada, it was mandated by the CRTC that we had to uh, have television programming that was um, done for the blind and vision impaired. So in t 2003, the CRTC mandated it. In the States, it was mandated in 20, 2012. So, yeah. Now, is that only like a certain number of hours have to be described? Yes. Or will we get to the point where like it's closed captioning, where everything's closed captioned? Well, I have all my fingers crossed here and toes and everything else saying that it should be. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've come a long way in mm -hmm. Canada in the next year and a half. It's mandated that, that all prime time programming, which is between 7 and 11, has to be described. Okay. Um, you know, and as we know, a lot of kids programs are being described as well. So I think in Canada, we're doing a fairly good job. The broadcasters are doing a good job of making sure that there's a fair bit of programming. But I agree completely with you, Ryan, like closed captioning is 100% and mm -hmm. has been for many years. Yeah. Why on earth would it be any different <laughs> for descriptive video? That I just agree. seems, you know, and that was one of the reasons I got into the business. I just thought this is absolutely not right. Right. 
Um, you know, it would be like uh, a restaurant, um, you know, a long time ago when we had to put ramps going into restaurants for wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. It would be like a restaurant saying, oh, I'm not going to do that because I don't care if people in wheelchairs come into my restaurant. Right. And, you know, really everybody should have access to all the same things. Absolutely. So uh, what's your background? Broadcasting. So I was in radio for nine years. I was in television for five years. I was marketing director for Disney for five years. And uh, then knew that I wanted to do something in broadcasting that made a difference and, um, you know, remain in broadcasting. And a friend from Global Television phoned me one day and she said, uh, you should look into descriptive video. And I, as many people said, I've never heard of this. What is this? And, you know, she said, well, it's like closed captioning is for the deaf, but it's for the blind. And so um, because I'd been in broadcasting for such a long time, I knew a lot of the people in the business. So I thought, well, there's two things that are going to be important if I'm going to start a company to do this. One of them is that broadcasters are actually going to want somebody to do it or are they going to do it Mm in-house? And oftentimes with things like that, they'll decide to do it in-house. So got together with um, the vice president of operations at CTV in Toronto. And I just said to him, you know, You've heard about descriptive video that we have to do it. Uh, what do you think? We had a great discussion. He just pointed his finger at me and he says, Diane, if you start this company, we're going to be your first client. And I went, okay, CTV is our first client. And then the other thing is I thought, I'm not going to do it if people that are blind and vision impaired say, you know what, we really don't care. We've gone this long without it. It doesn't matter to us. And it was the absolute complete opposite Mm -hmm. and that was when I really got passionate about it and the more I researched it I thought this is ridiculous like how have we gone this long Mm -hmm. with people saying oh closed (laughs) captioning yes everything has to be done and not descriptive video and that was when I just thought okay we're doing this and yeah yeah, one of the more recent examples I have is uh, the the movie The Martian Uh very very silent movie you know, as a blind person watching that, I had no clue as to what was going on. So I went back and read the book, and then I watched the description version. And if the description is well done, it really brings the movie to life. I had no idea what was going on in that movie until I had the descriptive version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a perfect way to say it, yeah. because that's our job. And if we can make it come to life so that you're not missing anything, then we're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing that was really important to me is that the work that we do isn't doing it just to fill the mandate. It's right. doing a good job. And and I'm really proud to say that we've done like 18,000 shows now <laughs> and they'd all better be a good job. you know. So. so how many different, I guess, actors or describers would you have working for Descriptive Video Works? We have about a dozen writers. And um, we have probably about the same narrators because there's so many different genres. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and the writing part of it to me is the most challenging because you've got only a certain period of time Mm -hmm. to put in what is the most important. So you have to determine what's the most important thing to say, how you can say it in the most concisive way. And, um, and then also making sure that you're, keeping into account the music you know Mm -hmm. you think about a a horror film you know and the music is telling the story well if you've got a narrator 
that is voicing over the music, then you've also missed some of the um, some of the message that's right. trying to come through through the music. You know, and the other thing that we find is really important is not stepping on dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also sometimes when I listen to shows that other companies have done, you find that the levels are really bad, so yeah. you can't hear the description. Well, I think that there's, there's really no... Well, there are standards when it comes to setting levels, but every mixer or sound engineer kind of does their own thing, right? So as long as it's within a certain parameter, they mm-hmm. can get away with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that we did a couple of years ago is we put together a described video committee, and we call it the Best Practices Committee. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we did that is because we'd watch what had happened with closed captioning. And there was all these ma and pa shops kind of opening up in people's basements, everybody going, hey, there's money in this, anybody can do it. And it was done so poorly. Mm. And I've noticed that with descriptive video, that there have been companies that are doing a very poor job of it. And to me, it was really important because you look at someone that's blind or vision impaired, they're all excited going like, oh, wow, we've got this. Mm -hmm. And then they watch the show and they go, well, I couldn't figure out what was going on or the voice was annoying or or whatever. So you really need to be respectful of that throughout the entire process. And what would that process be? How does it begin? Well, (laughs) here's how it begins. (laughs) Um, We get the show from the broadcaster or from the producer, and it's file-based now. When I started the company 14 years ago, we were sending tapes back and forth (laughs) across the country. And uh, so now everything's file-based, which is great. So we can be getting shows from anywhere in the world. So we download the show. We give it to our writer. The writer writes it. And they all have different ways of, some of them watch the whole show first, some of them watch segments of it. It just really depends on their own style. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they write it. And that usually for a one hour show would take about a day to write it. And uh, again, depending on how complicated it is, how uh, detailed, um, you know, sometimes if you get a documentary and it's a lot of talking heads, it's not as much description. Mm -hmm. Right. So they write it, they send it back to our studio, they send the script back to the studio. Then um, we have somebody that, you know, QCs it, just takes a a look at the script. And then our narrator comes in and they voice it and they voice it in our studio. And that's another QC or quality control aspect of it, where as they are voicing it, the narrator has the show up on the screen and she or he may look at it and go, hey, that's that's not right. Let's rewind that. Let's go back. Mm-hmm. And it may just be something that uh, the writer forgot or she maybe did a typo where she said he instead of she, mm-hmm. you know, so we have all of that. And then our final quality control aspect is when they mix it. And so our mixer is looking just to see, um, you know, what kinds of things, um, you know, might have been missed or mm-hmm. something like that. And then it goes back to the broadcaster and it's ready to air. Mm-hmm. And for television, um, people access it through second auditory program on their TV. Uh, they just go into the menu. and uh, Don't get me started on that. I know. I know. You know, as I said that, I thought, oh, I just opened up a can of worms. <laughs> hey, the cable box guides aren't accessible. I know. They don't talk. I, I don't know which is the SAP button on my remote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some remotes don't have it. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, that it's is one of the challenges, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So when you sit down to do a show then, 
<clears throat> like you were saying, the where the where the narration and the descriptions fall within the, the space of the show is very important. Is that something that the writers work on, or is it something that the voiceover artists work on, or is it something that's done in the mix? It's done. The writer works on that, okay. so they know how how long they have to say something. And it makes it a lot easier. We have a system. Other companies do it different ways. We have what I believe is a really good system to make it accurate. So they know if they've got 10 words in there and they can really only fit in eight words, it's their job to do that. Having said that, we have different ways that we would tell a narrator that they may have to speak quicker. Um, so sometimes you may hear them speaking quicker. And normally we don't like to do that, but we also know if there's some really important information that has to get in there that's really the only way to do that so when it gets to the voiceover artist and they know say that they have to say this this sentence within this space of time for say an audio cue for say some yeah. gunshots or something yeah so they're aware of that when they're recording yes yeah 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 and i'm really i'm really proud of all the people that that work with us we have a fabulous team that really loves what they're doing. So they make sure when they're doing it that it's not just a job, like let's go in and voice this thing. They're really conscious of it. And we get together a lot with um, people that are in our focus groups that are blind and vision impaired to make sure we're doing a good job because right. we're sighted. Like how dare we think that we're doing a good job unless we're going to the intended audience and saying to them, are we doing okay here? You know, can we improve? How can we improve? Well, and you don't want to describe her talking in a monotone voice and just yeah. getting very flat. You know, that doesn't bring anything to the movie or to the TV show. Yeah. You know, as a blind person, I want to still stay involved. Yeah. And yeah. that's very important. Yeah. Oh, and that's another good follow-up question too. So when the writers are approaching some sort of material, the actual writing, are they, are they, do they work to match, say, the tone of the scene? You know, for example, you know, if they're describing, say, a haunted house or a yeah. room in a haunted yeah. house, you know, is there a real, is there a focus on, say, the language that absolutely. they use? Absolutely. Absolutely. We did 400 SpongeBob SquarePants shows. <laughs> <clears throat> so that, excuse me, that, that will tell you right there. So one of the things that we did is we actually had a team of writers working on it because I wanted them all to be working with the same tone. And different things like, um, you know, SpongeBob uh, reclines in the chair. He would never talk like that. It would, he sits back, mm -hmm. you know, right. whereas if you were doing a documentary, you would say someone is reclining in the chair. So just watching your language to meet the genre of the show right. is really, really important. And your audience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts to it. It's not, you know, when, when I think when people think of, you know, descriptive video, I mean, I think there can be the you know, the inclination to just be like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's easy, but it's actually very hard. It's, it's hard to set a scene and to be able to describe it in words to somebody. I mean, we saw this when we were talking to Stephanie from Vocali. I mean, it can be, there can be a real challenge to it because you, you, again, you don't want to take the viewer out of the show mm -hmm. through something that, that you're describing. You, you sort of want to, you pull them into the show as opposed to saying something that's that's going to pull them out so it, it's it's hard to do yeah yeah it is and there's a fine line between too much description and too little description mm -hmm. and that was one of the things when we like we have a, a really extensive training program for writers and they can't write on their own 
until they've been writing for three months um, because there's so many things that have to be determined so that you're, uh, you know, you're painting a picture, but you're not going overboard and you're not overwriting um, because you, you think about it, the, the listener, the viewer doesn't want you to tell them everything. They mm-hmm. want to leave some of it to their own discretion, but they also need to know certain things. And that's where the challenge I think really comes in. And that's where a really good writer makes a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even like I started watching Luke Cage on Netflix mm-hmm. and I couldn't get my audio description working on my Apple TV. So I, I got into the first episode and, you know, I I didn't know what was going on because I'm so used to having it say, you know, Netflix appears in white block letters on your screen. And, you know, Luke walks walks into a restaurant and tells me what's going on. Without that, I had no clue where I was at in the show. I didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on. And it has to be, like you say, it's timed. It has to be well-spoken. Um, the words have to be carefully chosen and it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. I was very pleased, uh, about three years ago, Netflix got a hold of us and we, uh, had a number of discussions with them about getting audio description on Netflix. And, uh, I'm, it was one of the happiest days when they finally <laughs> said, yes, you know, we've done house of cards for them. We do Narcos, we do, uh, Narcos in Spanish and in English mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think it's really taken it to the level that it should be mm-hmm. is Netflix. House of Cards was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. That's uh, one of the shows that, uh, you know, when we started working with Netflix, you know that they have really high standards. Mm-hmm. And we knew that it had to be done well. So just as, as an example, um, because there's so many different areas that could look the same, we did a lot of studying around sort of Camp David, what that looks like, what the boardrooms look like, right. so that we were describing them well enough and we weren't giving the wrong place. Because, again, that would set a whole different um, image in the eye of, of someone that's watching that can't see what's happening. Right. Right. So, yeah. And also the voicing there was very important, mm-hmm. too, as it w- as it is with everything, yeah. but this was a more serious type of show, so you mm-hmm. had to keep. I mean, not the whole thing isn't serious, but you know, some yeah. of the aspects are. Yeah, that yeah. no, was very good. Mm-hmm. Now, and so, do they have? I mean, obviously, I guess they would have say, but I mean, do they do they generally have input, say, in choices like say, well, we'd like a, a male um, narrator as opposed to a female, or do they just pretty much give that to your your discretion? Usually, it's given to our discretion. Um, you know, I'm talking about all of our clients, not just Netflix in particular. Um, most of the time I'd say you'll get one or two clients. We're starting to do a lot of corporate work now because web, um, a lot of people's websites, things that they have online have to be described. And so if you're dealing with an ad agency, they're used to choosing the talent. And so we tell them that they can. Um, so we'll give them samples of different talent after we've worked with them once or twice. They always say, you know what, you guys know what you're doing. You just decide. (laughs) And, and we do, you know, like, like I say, my background is broadcasting. So the voice, you know, I, to me, it's very important what type of a voice we are using. Um, again, going back to SpongeBob SquarePants, you know, the guy that voiced it, I worked with in radio 25 years ago and you had to have a young sounding kind of, Mm -hmm. 
upbeat, different type of voice. And uh, his was perfect for it. Yeah. And the same thing when we did Downton Abbey. You had to have a certain British accent. <laughs> and these were all things we determined. The client didn't determine them. Right. But that's our job. It's not just to say, okay, who have we got on the roster that can come in? It's got to be based on the type of show. Hmm. So, there, I mean, so it's, it's, it can be a, a bit of a long process, not necessarily just from the moment you get the file and you start working on, say, an hour-long show, but... There's, there's a real process behind it when a client first comes on board because you have to do that. You have to look at the show. You have to decide who you, you're going to use as your, as your voice talent, who you're going to use as a writer. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. So it, it, it could take, when a new client comes on board, there's a real process behind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that we do, um, most of our writers have been with us for, you know, nine or 10 years. So we've got a really good stable of writers. And what we do is we ask them, we know what their interests are. You know, like there's, um, you know, some of them love design, some of them love sports, some of them love uh, mystery, sci-fi. And so what we try to do is give them the shows that they're really interested in. You know, like if you gave somebody a sports show and they know nothing about sports, <laughs> they are going to look into it to find out, but why not give it to somebody that knows about sports, you know? Yeah. Um, and they love doing it that way too, because you think about if you've got a topic you're interested in, you go, oh, wow. You know, like right now they fight over the bachelorette. Who's going to be doing that one? So <laughs> That's still not going to make me watch it. <laughs> uh. So yeah. something like Netflix, for example, like they release, you know, entire seasons at a time. So do they come to you before release and and have all that in place or do, do they generally will say release house of cards and then they'll come to you and say okay can you do season one it depends which show it is whether it's a, an original or if it's one of the shows that um they have um you know that was a television show to start with so they determine that okay yeah. One of the other interesting aspects, too, and I don't know, Ryan, if you've watched any of the Olympics or the Paralympics at all. Didn't catch any of the Paralympics. Yeah, but, um, we've, um, we do a lot of live work now, and yep. about six years ago, the live work started. And we'd always, when I started the company, I remember meeting at the uh, Banff Television Festival with the CRTC and some of the broadcasters. And we all said, oh, you'd never be able to do live. And we're like, how could you ever do live? You know, that'd be crazy. And so about six years ago, CTV came to me and they said, you know, what do you think about doing some live? And I was like, well, you know what? We've worked for you now for a number of years, and you're not going to fire us if we do a bad job. And if you want to try, let's try it. And so I said to him, you know, what do you want to start with? And he said, well, we've got the Juno Awards coming up. And I said, great, when's that? And he says, two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So uh, we did some really intense, extensive training with our uh, writers then. And we also knew that they, for live, there was a lot of different skills that needed to that they needed to have. And uh, you have to be really uh, okay under pressure. Mm-hmm. You have to really be able to, uh, you know, speak on your feet, so to speak. You know, you've got to you've got to be with it and change things up. Be flexible. It's a whole different thing. So we did the Junos. Now we've done, uh, you know, the Paralympics, the Olympics, the um, some of the government, you know, like the Liberal campaign, their um, electoral 
I can't remember what it was called, but anyway, their conference. Um, we've done uh, a lot of the awards ceremonies and things like that. And we've got a really awesome team. And just for the first time ever, which you think about how ironic this is, but in the States, they had never described the Olympics or the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, you know, three years ago, NBC, because I said, we're doing it in Canada. Why aren't you doing it in the States? Mm -hmm. And this year they agreed to. And so it was the first time ever in the U.S. that the Olympics have been described. So we did the opening ceremony, the closing ceremonies, and every day, you know, four or five hours of highlights. And we got some really good feedback. Yeah. And, and I was really pleased because, again, they're live and they really have to do their research, right. you know. And NBC was fabulous to work with as well. Did you guys do the 2010 Paralympic opening ceremonies here? Yes. Okay, because yeah. I, I did get a receiver for that. And my wife and I went and I listened and, and that was really good. It yeah. was well done too. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and that's got to be open up a whole other mm-hmm bag of challenges when you're doing a live event so is that is it the writers that are performing or are they working with the voiceover or is it is it a whole little team that that it's a different team we have what we call our live team and they all are writers um, but you have to have different skills so you think about it you could have a really good writer and they had all the other skills, but they had a voice that was really annoying, you know, <laughs> and, and that was something that was really good. It also needed to be somebody that's used to being on stage where they've uh, done improv or something mm. where you can quickly change things around if you need to. Right. Yeah. So it's a different, you know, they still need to be really good writers, but they also have to have additional skills. Like a play-by-play yeah. commentator. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm. And so are, so are there more more and more live events? Like, is, are they yeah. becoming more, a lot more popular these yeah, days? Yeah, they are. They are. Because some of the shows also, uh, like we do a show for CTV called Daily Planet. We do that every day. And CTV, it's a real priority to them. So they wanted to make sure it was described. But a lot of times they're not finished their production or any of their work until an hour or so before it airs. <laughs> so we have, you know, they set up a booth for us wow. right there. Wow. And, uh, and they're really committed, which I, I really give them a lot of credit for. Um, so our, you know, our, our live describer goes in there every day and uh, describes Daily Planet. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you guys do like CTV, Global, Sydney? We don't, we're not doing Global. Okay. Uh, we do CTV and we do CBC. Okay. Is anybody doing Global? Yeah, somebody else is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so there are other companies that are doing what you're doing? Yep, yep. There's uh, a couple of other companies that are doing that. So, Did they yeah. start up around the same time? Like, No. No? No. Okay. We're the leader in, in descriptive video. We've been doing it for the longest. And uh, I would, I'm pretty sure we've done the most shows. Um, so it's, you know, and, and it goes up and down. You know, I remember when I first started the company and uh, I was getting, the Vancouver Sun did an article on us and it was a fabulous article and I had all these people phoning me and I was thinking, oh, this will be really good for publicity. We'll get some work in the door. And, and no, we got a lot of people applying to voice and to write and everything. <laughs> so, I mean, we started out with one show and, you know, and that was like one show a month, so to speak. And now oftentimes we'll do a hundred shows in a month. 
So, wow. Yeah, it's really grown. Thank so what, goodness. So what types of, like, well, I got a couple of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so like you work with CTV. Mm-hmm. What other type of broadcasters do you work with? Like Nickelodeon, Much Music, MTV, any of that? Like who? Um, We do some work with Super Channel. Okay. We do A&E. Um, out of the States, we work with Viacom out of the States. Um, in Canada, CBC is very committed also to doing um, audio description. We're doing a number of shows with them. You know, like you look at a show like Dragon's Den. I don't mm-hmm. know, Ryan, if you watch that. But that's a great show to describe. You know, you've got, it's a, it's one of their um you know, highest rated shows. Mm -hmm. And as a person that's blind, you wouldn't be able to get what was going on. There's no description of sort of what the things are that are being promoted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, you know, Rick Mercer, right. You know, a number of different shows like that. And then you go to the bachelorette or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) all very diverse. That's for sure. Yeah. So you've also got um, multiple offices. I think I saw Vancouver, LA, um, was another New York or something. Was there the third one? We do all of our recording out of Vancouver. Okay. Uh, when I opened up in the States about four years ago, we have an office there, but it's just a, just an office really. We don't do a lot of work out of there at all. Okay. Um, you know, I thought we needed to have a presence there. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that the presence was international, like our company's right. international. It doesn't matter where, where you're you doing are. the studio work. Right. And I did think about, you know, opening a, a studio in L.A. And I thought I want it to be right here where I'm close enough to it if something goes wrong. Right. Not that I'm the technical person at all, because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. um, but at least I can get things going. And as we all know, with everything being file-based now, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where your you know, studio or your business is located. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if you had mm-hmm. an office in L.A., if you know the, the stuff being shot in the U.S. would go to that office, no. the stuff in Canada no. would come to here. Because we're an, like I say, we're an international yeah. company. So, um, and this year for the first time we did, um, in, out of Montreal, we did the Paralympics right. and, uh, I was really pleased to be able to do that. That was, you know, through CBC and AMI. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And this might be a more of a question for say that the channels, but I'll ask you, cause you might have some insight. How do they go about choosing a show that they decide that they they want descriptive video. Usually, um, it would, if it's one of their higher rated shows, uh, that would be one that they would decide. Um, you know, like W five. We've been doing W five for CTV for I think twelve years, mm. and W five is a show that is very highly rated mm. for CTV. And that was a show that oftentimes the producer isn't finished doing, you know, the production until, you know, four o'clock on a Friday. And we get that show and sometimes we write it overnight and voice it early in the morning because it airs in the other coast right. um, the next day. Wow. So that was a challenge. You know, CTV came to us and said, look, this is a high priority for us, but they're not finished production are you able to do it and i talked to our people and a lot of our writers are screenwriters they don't Mm -hmm. work nine to five you know who works nine to five now anyway nobody Mm -hmm. i know um so they were fine with that well Mm. you'd have to be flexible in that in that business oh yeah yeah you really do especially the live stuff yeah 
Yeah, for sure. And you also have to know sometimes that you're really pushed, you know, like mm-hmm. there, it's, it, there's a real ebb and flow to it, you know, sure. when there's not a lot of work coming in, of course, that's when I panic, <laughs> you right. know, I go like, oh, we've got all these great writers, I want to keep them busy. And then there'll be times where there's so much work, you're saying to them, you know, for this next while, can you work seven days a week? And they're more than happy to do it because right. they also know there's going to be there may be a lull again. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you on Monday morning, you go in and you go, okay, this is exactly what we're going to have this week. You know? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, especially when you're working on a production schedule, you're working with shows that are being produced on a a specific production schedule. It can be really challenging. I'm sure to work with them on that because like, I remember there was a, there was a great documentary on, I think it was on Netflix um, a while back about South Park and just what the what their process was like and it was really surprising because they literally Monday morning they start work on a blank slate they, mm-hmm. have, they have no idea and through 7 days they produce a 30 minute episode and they're literally finished like you said like an hour 2 hours before airtime yeah and that's that's an incredible it can be a really incredibly tight production schedule for for these shows yeah and to have to factor in descriptive video, I can see how that could really... Well, sometimes what will happen with a producer is they don't, still don't know that they have to include audio description or descriptive video in their, um, in the show that they're sending back to the broadcaster. And at the last minute, they'll go through their contract and they'll go, okay, well, we've done closed captioning. We've like, what's this thing, descriptive video we have to include? They'll come to us in a panic and say, you know, we've got to deliver to the broadcaster in a week from now. And we've realized that we've got to have descriptive video. Can you turn it around? And we do. And we don't charge. I don't believe in charging rush charges for that. Um, I think it would be very money grabbing of me to say, well, too bad you didn't figure it out I'm going to charge right. you double yeah. you know it's just not right because right. that show should be described and they just didn't know it because it wasn't part of the process before now you were saying earlier when we started uh, that it was mandated does everything have to be described now um, what has to be done is prime time right as of I think it's about a year from now um most of the broadcasters are going over the amount that has to be described. And does everything have to be described? No, but a lot of times now, and I, I can't say for sure, but I would say the majority of shows that a broadcaster has bought, say, from a producer, like say they've said, okay, you know, we're going to get, um, you know, a series from you, 13 mm-hmm. shows, they will probably put in the contract for the producer that that does have to be described. Okay. And it makes sense to do that. I mean, they're, they're saying to them, you have to do closed captioning, which has always mm-hmm. been in the contract. And so now they include it. So, you know, people say to me, well, who actually pays for the shows to be done? Sometimes it's the broadcaster because they've delegated funds to go towards accessibility. Uh, And sometimes it's the producer that's going to pay for it. I think it's smart for producers to do that because, you know, they're all crossing their fingers that Netflix might pick up the show. Well, Mm -hmm. Netflix is going to ask for it as well. Yeah. And the thing I keep waiting for is somebody to come out with a a guide that tells you what shows are described Mm -hmm. because that still doesn't exist. Yeah. Whereas with closed captioning, it's just a given. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and those are the things that seem to be taking longer than they should. Mm-hmm. You know, AMI Accessible Media Inc, we partner with them. We don't com- 
and consider them a competitor. Mm-hmm. And they do have a guide on right. AMI. Yeah. But of course, it doesn't include shows that you want to watch on CTV. Uh, yeah, right. you know, yeah. it doesn't include Netflix. Right. You know, like if you could just go and you know how you have the search thing right. and just put in, okay, give me the entire list. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I think, and I do think that will come. Yeah. I think that it's going to take people that are blind or that are families of people that are blind getting a lot more uh, vocal about what they want. And that's how the whole Netflix thing came up as well. Um, Daredevil. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what do you mean this isn't described? Yeah. There's a huge outcry. Yeah. 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 And yet they had been talking to us about audio description prior to that. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think when you look at how far they've come, I'm really pleased to see that. They didn't just say, okay, you know what, we're just going to do a few shows so Mm -hmm. we look like a good guy. They do a really good job, you know, and now that we're doing Spanish as well, um, you know, you look at, Ryan, have you watched Narcos? Yeah, I watched the first season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a hard, that's a tough, tough show to describe. You know, you've got a different language, you've Mm -hmm. got subtitles, you've got, you know, um, and we did focus groups on that. Mm. And one of the things, if you've only watched season one, you'd notice a difference in season two. Because our focus group said to us, you're doing subtitles, but you're having a male voice do the subtitle for a female. (laughs) And we kind of went, oh, yeah, because we wondered for the first season if we should do it like that. And we realized that we needed to change that. And that, again, to me, is one of the best things about focus groups. Like, they tell us. They help us. And I love getting feedback. You know, I'm going to ask you after the podcast for any (laughs) feedback that you have. There are places we can improve. Because we're all looking to, you know, we're always looking to improve what we're doing. Mm -hmm. More and more content now is also being, you know, distributed through Amazon and YouTube and different online channels. Are you guys involved in doing description for those avenues as well? I would love to be. So if you can get me to the right person, <laughs> do you know how hard it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we should be because I, I know that we do an outstanding job of the work we do. It's not just a bragging thing. It's pride mm-hmm. that we can't send anything out the door that is less than 100% because right. somebody like you would say, well, that was a, you know, I'm not watching this show and you turn it off because it was confusing or it wasn't the right information or mm. the levels were wrong or whatever. Right. And our job is to make sure that you go, wow, that was great. I wouldn't have got that mm-hmm. if it wasn't described so well. So yes, to answer your question about Amazon and Hulu and everything, yeah. uh, that's one of my um, things that I'm trying hard to get you know, to get there with. And I look at, you know, with NBC, I'd asked them for a while to do live and this year we did it. So I know that, you know, I have the vision. It's going to, it'll happen. So when you guys are approached by somebody to do the description, is it like an exclusive contract where you get the whole like first season, second season, third season, or can they shop that around? They can shop it around, yeah. but they don't usually. I've okay. never heard of them shopping it around. So why would you bother, right? Because if it's done, you know, if we've done it to high standards. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you're watching season one and then season two comes on with a different voice and a different t- style of writing. There's not the continuity right. to it. And we always try to, if we can, have that continuity, especially with the voice. Right. Uh, You know, if we have somebody's on holidays and we have to get a show out, we try to match the voice as closely as we can. And some of our voices are quite similar Mm -hmm. and they all have a pretty good range. 
So, you, you know, that's something that's very important. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, even you listen to an audio book and you, you, the the voice, the narrator <laughs> becomes, all the world. Well, yeah. it, it becomes a character <laughs> yeah. as well yeah. to you. Yeah. And I could see it being, you know, something similar with descriptive video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about making descriptive audio tracks available only? So um, instead of buying a Blu-ray and yeah. again not being able to navigate the menu on the Blu-ray to turn on the descriptive yeah. video track. I think that would be a great idea, but I also recognize that I don't own what we did. Right. So as soon as CTV, Netflix, whoever it happens to be, pays me, that's theirs. So oh, okay. I don't have the right to do anything I like see. that. I think it's a really good idea. Right. Um, and what I'm hearing now is a lot of sighted people um, when they're driving, will have their phone on Netflix audio description. And so they've got their own talking book, basically. Right. Which, like, I really think that descriptive video is for everybody. Sure. I have a lot of people that say to me, you know, I turn the descriptive video on because I'm looking after the kids or I'm in the kitchen cooking yep. and I'm still getting the description. Right. So I don't have to be right in front of the set. I guess it's like listening to books from Audible, right? You're mm-hmm. in your car, you're jogging, whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. you got your book being read to you. That's yeah. brilliant, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should do that because I, I, I run into that problem all the time when I'm there cooking and I want to have something on. Yeah. I totally. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You changed. See, life. we just we just changed your life here. Day after Thanksgiving, your life has changed. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Um, so, what's your what's your take on the industry? I mean, it's it's still growing. Right? Absolutely, the industry is still growing, and um, you're going to find a lot of things. Like here's, I love looking at sort of the progression of it. Two years ago, we would never have had a call from a university asking us to do audio description. Now we're getting calls from universities asking us to do audio description. So you think about a student that's taking a course that wants to get their master's or or whatever it happens to be. And uh, part of it is watching a video. So is the prof going to say, well, everybody in the class has to do it except for you, Ryan. You can't do it Mm. and you might not get your degree. Um, So now we're doing that. There's a lot of um, corporate companies that we're working with now that need to have, you know, you think about you go to work for a big firm and you're blind and they do an orientation type of thing and here's all about our company and this and that. It's like, oh, well, you're blind, so we're not going to treat you the same as the guy beside you. So people are getting that. And even if there's only, say, one person that works for a big company like Johnson & Johnson or whatever it is that's blind, that person needs to be included in the same way that everybody else is. And that's all there is to it. And and I'm really, I'm pleased to see companies are getting that. Mm. And it's about time. But yeah, for sure. It's, you know, it is increasing. And do I see it as a growing industry? Absolutely. You think about how many things that you see online and you wish they were described. Mm-hmm. And they're not described. Well, why not? They should be. And, right. and it's just a matter, I think, of picking up the phone and saying, hey, I've used your product for this long. I wanted to find out a bit more about your product. And there was a bunch of pictures there, but there was no description. I didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. Why would, would you consider having that product audio described? Right. And for the most part, I would like to believe that they would say, you know what? Yeah, I would. I don't know where to start. And that's right. where... Our job is to make sure that they know that they can come to us. And a lot of times we're finding that 
um, with this new, you know, the new companies that are coming in, and they're maybe a one-minute video, a two-minute video, they don't have a clue where to start or how to do it. And we're coming up with new ways. Like, we have a really good creative team. And at first, I thought, hmm, how are we going to be able to do this, get enough dialogue in there? We've only got one minute. And we've come up with some really good ways of doing it. Hmm. So you'll you'll see that changing, I think, Mm -hmm. a lot. And the other thing that we find is audio description is helping kids that are autistic. Right. And I love that. I think that's amazing. And I've, ta- I've had phone calls from moms saying to me, you know, my son, we have all of our TV shows are all on audio description. And he has learned to speak because of that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's, you know, they're they're affected in a different place in their brain. Mm, right. mm. And so this information is just coming in easily. They don't have to think. It's just flowing, and they can right. pick up what they want to. You know, someday when I retire, I'm going to spend time researching that. I keep saying I'm going to find time to, but I've been mm-hmm. busy doing other things, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I have to ask, what's been the strangest thing, strangest request you've ever had to describe? <laughs> oh, oh. Got to ask. Okay, well. Uh, I don't know if you know the porn channel is described. No. <laughs> yeah. Really? Okay, so you I asked this saw, right? I think I saw something yeah. on the internet a while back, only like in the last couple months or something. Mm-hmm. I got a phone. I didn't know anything about it, and I got a phone call from New York Times um, asking if they could interview me about descriptive video for porn. Well, of course, first of all, I think it's a friend of mine being an ass, you know, and going, yeah, right, okay. But I'm thinking, and so I said to him, I said, "Um, can I give you a call back? And and he said, yeah, and it was legitimate. And it was Pornhub is the name. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, I heard about that. And um, so they wanted to interview us. And I thought, okay, how do you handle this? You know, in one side of it, you would say to yourself, okay, blind people should have access to everything. I shouldn't be able to say, you know, well... Ryan, you can't watch porn. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's up to your wife to say, not me. (laughs) And on the other hand, which of my writers could I say to them, I want you to write this? And so the funny thing is the reporter didn't get back to me because I thought he's going to ask a lot of questions. I better be prepared for it. In the meantime, I went online and I watched this and then I got annoyed because it was really poorly described. So poorly described. (laughs) And I was critiquing the porn. I mean, not the porn, but the description of the porn. (laughs) And I was like, like, come on. on. It wasn't good. It was so badly done. Mm. And of course, I got quite curious as to (laughs) who had done it. And I'm I don't know for sure, but to me, it was almost one of those things where you'd say, oh, so-and-so, you describe this. Anybody can do this. Right. Sure. Because that's how poorly it was done. You right. hadn't kept in all the rules of thumb that you do for, right. for uh, you know, for regular description. So that does that answer your so question? So you're doing Pornhub now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that's funny is you think about it, you could probably make a fortune with that. Because you could say, okay, you know, we have to have a certain type of voice for it. And, uh, you know, it's going to cost you more. And, uh, Too funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's been lots of, of different, you know, odd things that, um, that we've had to do. When we first started, we were doing some 
pretty crazy movies for chum television. Mm. And that was when they had some, you know, kind of out there stuff. And I remember, um, you know, one of my writers saying to me, how do you describe a snake coming out of somebody's breast? (laughs) And I said, just like you did. (laughs) He said, but it's so weird. And I said, yeah, that's how you do it. You know, the other thing that we were... We were really wondering about early on is how you describe rape. And we watched uh, or we um, described a show for CTV, um, Matthew Broderick, and it was a young boy that had been raped. And we thought, how graphic should you get? And it was a hard show to describe because it was very graphic. Um, But we decided, you know, we talked to our focus groups because, again, we can't decide those things. Right. And they said, you don't need to describe it fully. Mm-hmm. You can just describe sort of in a general kind of a way, right. which we did. And I feel like we did a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. We had to be respectful mm-hmm. of, you know, part of what we talk about is say what you see. But in this one, you really didn't have to get that graphic right. because people in their own mind can figure out what's we're going figuring on. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's got to be a challenge. You know, again, it goes back to the tone thing. You know, when you think about any sort of TV show or movie, they're shooting it, they're shooting a scene in a specific way and they're including different visual images in order to, you know, garner an emotional reaction. And so I guess you got you have to take some of that into account when you're describing it, right? And when you're mm-hmm. making those types of decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what would one of your favorite shows that you like watching? Pornhub. Be right. Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to be now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's getting antsy in his chair. He wants to go to his computer right. now and check it out. <laughs> and on an no. unrelated note, I'm giving notice. <laughs> Pornhub a call. <laughs> no, I think um, um, House of Cards, again, oh, okay. was a really great series. Yeah. Um, the description was really well done. I could follow along. I understood what was going on. Yeah, that's probably been my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. You know, the Marvel stuff's been really good as well. But yeah, I don't really watch a lot of descriptive broadcast TV. Mm-hmm. Again, just because, A, it would annoy my wife. Yeah. Um, who's cited. Yeah. Unless I went, you know, downstairs and watched, turned it on. But again, I can't turn it on independently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's being described because the guy doesn't tell you. Um, so I'd have to just turn on the SAP and hope that what I found in the early days, I guess, is that I would tune into a channel and it would be one program, but the SAP would be describing a whole different show. Oh. It was very weird. Oh, yeah. They had a lot of problems that with that surreal. and they still don't have it yeah. figured out the way it should be. Yeah. It was very strange. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't gone back to it. Like I said, I only watch the descriptive stuff now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't tell the broadcasters that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the broadcasters and electronics manufacturers need to know that, Absolutely. you know, I'm a consumer like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. I do all my shopping on Amazon. And if I could get a Blu-ray player that had, you know, menus that were spoken, yeah, I'd, I'd buy it today. Yeah. But I can't. Um, that's not accessible. Mm-hmm. If I could get a cable box from Shaw, Telus, Bell, whoever, that actually had a talking menu system, I'd switch today. You know, but I can't. Yeah. I'm, so there needs to be a lot more done. Yeah. To to bring that to their attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's a, it's a lost audience for mm-hmm. them. It really is. Yeah. You yeah. know, if we've got 1.5 million people that are blind and vision impaired in Canada alone, mm-hmm. 
um, that's a number of people that they're missing. And right now, broadcasters are trying to get as many viewers sure. as they can. Well, they always have been. But still, now with all the changes mm-hmm. in broadcasting. So. A lot of people cutting the cord, you know. Yeah. Everybody just watching either off their mobile devices. Yep. How many people are actually watching live now? People DVR it and watch next day. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's it's all changing. Yeah. So do you have a set focus group or do you do you tend to go to the same people or do you bring in different? Folks? We bring in different people. So, Ryan, I'm going to be coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, we have two people that have been on our, you know, head up, our, what we call our research and development team right. um, that are blind and vision impaired. And we've worked with them for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then we bring in different people. When we did Narcos, we brought in Spanish people because mm-hmm. they wanted to do Spanish description too. Right. And our, sorry, Spanish um, research to see, you know, do focus groups with them. And uh, no, we use different people. There's kind of a core group that we go to, uh, but we're always looking for other people. And we make it easy where we just send a CD and then that way, or we'll send a file and Mm -hmm. be very explicit on how to download it. Like most of the time, what we do is we ask them what they would prefer. And sometimes it's just easier with a CD or a DVD. Um, and other times we'll just send a file and we'll just ask some key questions, you know, things like, uh, did the voice work? Was there enough dialogue or was there enough description? Was there too much description? Um, anything else that you can add to it that we might've been able to do all of those kinds of things. And one of the things that I'm always really clear on is I don't want it to be, um, just about what we're doing well, Mm -hmm. critique it and tell us what we could do better. So does it, does it go out to the focus groups, I guess, before it gets broadcast? No, it, you don't, you don't ever have time to do that. Well, I shouldn't say you don't ever, but usually you wouldn't have time to do that. So, um, it's just helpful. Like if we're, say we do one series and we know we're going to get season two and season three, Mm -hmm. then sometimes what we'll do is we'll go to them after we've done the first couple of, uh, episodes and say, you know, what do you think? Um, so it's not, and focus groups, we do them randomly. Like I don't have sort of, okay, every Thursday at noon, we have a focus group. Not at all. Oh, okay. Um, we'll just do it very randomly. You know, okay. if we've got a new type of show and I'll say, you know, I think we should get some information on this one. We don't do it as much as we used to because we've got a pretty good flow going now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, you know, and people are busy. Yeah. We want to respect that, that they, you know, their time as well. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, you know, if I wanted to be part of the focus group, do I need to quit my job and watch TV eight hours a day? Because <laughs> <Yeah. know? laughs> I'm there, my popcorn. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> That's right, Rogan just lost two employees. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Pornhub and you're going to, yeah. you're going to Netflix or something, Narcos, or <laughs> just go to Descriptive Video Works. You know, I know you, you guys work mainly with, with broadcast TV and the networks and stuff, but... So you might just, you might not know this question, but now movies now do they generally do all their stuff in house or do they farm farm descriptive video out? No, they farm it out. I have a great story to tell you. Okay, good. Um, I was asked to speak at the aerospace conference in um, Vegas, 
and the airlines are going to include audio description in their in-flight entertainment. Yeah, so, right. that too. Yeah. Right. yeah, we yeah. talked about that. Both yeah. times. So I, they asked me to speak in Vegas a couple of years ago, and then um, they heard me speak there, the people that were doing it in Europe. And the same thing, the aerospace conference there. And so they flew me to Dubai to speak to the aerospace people there. And so I knew that Emirates, all of their flights have it. I knew Air Canada, most of their flights do. So I chose to fly Emirates because I wanted to experience audio description on the plane so I could talk about it. So I get there and I put my headset on and I said to the flight attendant, I said, "Um, can you show me how to set up the audio description? She says, the what? Yeah, exactly. I said, the descriptive video where the show is described. Oh, oh, we don't have that. And I said, actually, you do. You have it on on all your planes. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, not on this plane. I said, (laughs) you know, and she wasn't being rude, but she'd never heard of it. There was no training. They didn't know. No, no. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be on this flight for 14 and a half hours. I know you have it here and I would like you to figure it out. (laughs) And so then she talked to the pilot. She talked to, you know, and they did finally figure it out. Mm. Um, The thing that was too bad, if I had been blind, there's no way I could have figured it out. But having said that, what they should have done as anything in a plane, if you can't figure it out yourself, you ask the flight attendant. So I don't fault them for that part of it, you know. Uh, Well, I I mean, I don't fault them for, (laughs) I fault them for the fact that their staff does doesn't know how to do it, but they're just new with it. And they should, you know, I think that they're coming up with ways that they can make it so that you can, that they have maybe a plastic cover Mm -hmm. that's got braille, you know, we've come up with, they're trying on that. They really are. Um, But the thing that to me was really cool is finally when we got it figured out, I thought, oh, what movie do I want to watch? And Room, you know, the award-winning Academy Award Room one was described. And I was like, oh, awesome. I watched that, yeah. So I've got my headsets on. I'm going like, I wonder what company did this. They did a phenomenal job. That voice is awesome. And I'm listening to the whole thing. At the end of it, they said... Uh, this program has been described by Descriptive Video Works. And I'm with my sister, and I nudged her, and I'm pulling the headset over to her. I said, we did this show. And, of course, we do so many shows, I don't always remember right. the shows we'd done. But that was, in my career, one of those pinch-me moments because I kept thinking to myself, wow. well, who's doing as well as we are? That you know, and an I, it sounds like show. a bragging thing. I don't mean it that no, way. Absolutely. But I just was so impressed with this job these people were doing. Yeah. And I was also thinking, wow, I'd sure like to get that voice but it must be some L.A. voice that's really expensive. Well, it's our fabulous voice here that we use a lot. Oh, awesome. But I just had forgotten it. So yeah. it was it was a great, uh, great opportunity. So to answer your question, yes, we do movies. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that's always been my beef, too. Like in the 21st century, you know, with all the in the U.S., they have an ADA Act, a Disability Act. Canada is looking at getting some disability acts as well. We should have accessible menu systems now yeah in-flight entertainments yeah. should be talking to us yeah it's no different than when you're walking through the airport and you hear flight 216 now boarding at gate blah 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 yeah that's all synthesized speech yeah it's all being done by text-to-speech software mm-hmm. a lot of it mm-hmm. that in-flight entertainment should be able to talk to somebody who's blind yeah 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 again it's it's being independent not having to ask for help absolutely yeah and then, like your experience finding, you know, having to kind of fight with a flight attendant. Yes, you do have this. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. Yes, yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. In uh, Gulf Air were one of the airlines that I was speaking to, and he was on the panel with me. And he was saying that their king has determined that audio description is top priority on their flights. Mm -hmm. And so everything is described. And he said, we also make sure that we treat people that are blind um, with the highest regard, and oftentimes we will put them in first class just automatically. Wow. And yes. and of course, his some of his people that are working there were sitting in the audience, and he kind of looked over at them. He says, "I know I'm not supposed to say this out loud, but he said it really is true." And I thought, "Wow, isn't that nice?" Yeah. It's yeah. like saying, "You know what? We know you might have a few more challenges here. We want to give you more of our time, and in first class, you can get that." So there you go. Yeah. Nice. I thought, wow. Yep. Instead of, you know, well, gee, I'm too busy. You know, here's mm-hmm. your coffee, here's your tea, and uh, sorry, can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll throw another one out there. What is, what is in your memory, what's one of the most challenging shows that you guys have had to do? <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, there's been a few of them. This wasn't a challenging show, but it was unique. And I think we're the only ones that have done this. We did the Charlie Chaplin show that's a completely silent show. Oh, wow. Um, so that was a, an interesting one. Um, I think it probably would have would be when we do foreign language ones. They're challenging. And... I'm always up for the challenge, but there are days where I'm hiding under my desk and wondering what the hell I did, (laughs) accepting it. But we always get there with it. Mm. And so, yeah, I would say that would probably be it. Mm. And, you know, like we've got the, our tech people are great. Sometimes, as with anything, you'll have things like the producer will say, okay, yes, it's all locked, it's all done. And then they come back and they say, oh, we've made some changes (laughs) and you need to change that and it just should take you a minute well it doesn't because Mm -hmm. it puts all of our timing and everything out we've got to re-edit it we've got to remix it you know Mm -hmm. all of that so those are challenging but the thing that I'm happy to say and I'm pretty sure I can say this almost all of our clients come back and that to me is an indication of the work you're doing if your Mm -hmm. clients are coming back it's repeat business so when we've had challenges like that on a show they may come back again with another series because a lot of producers are working on a number of different series Mm -hmm. and remember that we took care of it for them because they were in a bit of a panic too and that they didn't have to worry about it and our 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 whole philosophy is it's got to be seamless for them it's new to them they're not saying oh i can't wait i've produced this big movie or this big series and it's great and i just can't wait to do the descriptive video most of it the time it's going to be like i can't wait to get this thing on the air (laughs) so if you guys are doing the descriptive video for a show and it's going to be in english french spanish german does descriptive video works do all those languages? We do some of them. Some of them, yeah. yeah. And this is just starting, so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it a lot, just because it's new. And sure. you might ask me the same question, and I would say it differently in a month because <laughs> we're working it through right now to okay. figure out the best way to do it. Sure. So yeah, yeah. So having been in the industry for so long, and seen where it started and now where it's going, what's what what's your feeling on the outlook? Is it is it just doing nothing but growing? Yes. And I firmly believe that it will be 100%. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was faster, <laughs> but I think it will be. Yeah. It can't not be. 
And what's your what's your feeling for like time frame for that? Hmm. Well, I'm just. That, uh, that's the tricky I, yeah. part. I'm planning to put yeah. you on the spot. But. I would really like to think that within the next five years, everything's going to be described. Wow. Is, is that realistic? Why wouldn't it be? I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at field. how yeah, I look at how far we've come. Yeah. And now I look at the phone calls we're getting, like I was saying, from universities, from advertising agencies, from places that never, if you'd asked me five years ago, you know, do you think these people will do it? I'd go mm-hmm. like, no. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's really concerned about accessibility, and they should be right. for everything. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, we stand on a platform and say, oh, yeah, you know, our company is completely accessible. Well, do you have this described for the blind? Mm-hmm. Is that available for the blind? Right. Or for people that are blind. You know, that's not, um, it hasn't been to date. So you really can't wave that flag of saying, you know, we're 100% accessible at our company. I guess what it really comes down to is just, it's demand. I mean, obviously the, all the technical aspects are there. I mean, you guys can Mm -hmm. do it. You can describe porn. So, I mean, really you can do anything. It's, It's just a matter of the need and the desire to do it. So. And it's also hearing from the public. Right. Mm-hmm. They really, really, it's not a group that advocates that well. Right. And I remember when I first started the company, and this is the CRTC, was saying, you know, we're not hearing anything from them. We don't know if they like it. Mm-hmm. And I would be, come on, you know, like pick up the phone. <laughs> and, you know, but it was harder at that time. It was really hard because they'd have to write a letter. Then they'd have to get somebody to take it to the mailbox or take right. it to the mailbox. Or they'd have to figure out through the whole system, the one eight hundred number and what mm-hmm. numbers to hit. And that's one of the things I said to the CRTC because they did a um, program, what was it called? Tele or Talk TV? Can't remember. But what the CRTC did is they said, tell us what you want. And then they made it so hard that a person that was blind couldn't even get through the system. And they they were in our studio. And I said to them, you know, I know that your heart's in the right place here. Mm-hmm. But you needed somebody that was blind that was planning this whole thing that could say, oh, whoops, you forgot this part here. Right. I can't do this. Yeah. Without asking somebody else. And that's not what they want. Well, what's accessible to me as a blind person may not be accessible to the next guy who's who's blind, his yes. vision may be different. He may yeah. have physical impairments as well. He might have not you have know. the right equipment. That exactly. You do. Yeah. 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 There's all kinds of variables in there, right? Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, five years would be great. Well, and like I say, it it needs to people need to say they want it because yeah. it's you know the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. Old old saying, but let me tell you, yeah. it still holds true, especially in this situation, especially. And do you guys, well, I guess it's not even your arena, but who would somebody talk to about descriptive media guides? Like other than calling Shaw up, Shaw's just going to say, well, you know, we don't do that. Would you go to CRTC? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would go to the CRTC. Um, and they tell us that they're really willing to listen. Right. Like uh, when the commission, the last hearings were that we were involved in were two years ago, and the commission asked me if I would speak at them. And I was really very grateful they had because they weren't asking companies to speak because mm-hmm. it could be perceived, and they know me well enough, but it could be perceived that you're wave, waving the flag of your company. Right. And I wave the flag of the good work we do, not, of, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Sean Marsalais, I don't know 
know yep. Peter. Yep. Yeah. One of our yeah. clients. Yeah. 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 We had her on talking about blind beginnings. and Yeah, she's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. And I asked her to speak with me at the hearing. And so um, the commission was, is usually pretty tough on broadcasters, but they were not tough on us because Sean spoke very well. And one of the things she said at the end of it is she says, I'm just like you. I just can't see. <laughs> right. And it, and I know it really hit home. Mm. And they really did listen. Right. Um, so I really believe that if you called the CRTC, you emailed them, whatever, and if you got a couple of other people that believe the same thing as you, I think they will listen. Yeah. Because there's got to be something that they can do. And mm-hmm. who knows, maybe it's already in the works mm-hmm. and somebody's put it sort of to the side of their desk because they were too busy doing other things. Yep. And that phone call that you make, they're going to go, you know what, we need to get on that. Right. It's been sitting there. That's that's the best way okay. to get anything changed. You know, it was funny because we had a person that was blind phoned us and said, do you do so-and-so show for Netflix? And I said, I don't think that's audio described. And they were like, oh, you guys should do it. It's such a great show. You know, why aren't you doing it? And I said, well, phone Netflix. Sure enough, they phoned Netflix. Netflix got a hold of us and said, here's a new series. We want this audio described. And that just took somebody saying, I'm actually going to pick up the phone. I'm going to do this. Because, you know, and I'm sure somebody's done research on how many times we think of doing something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, you go to a store and, and the... The clerk is really nice, and you go, I'm going to phone their boss and tell them how great they were, and then you forget all about it. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, I think that's the one thing to take away from this. And if anybody who's listening, you know, you want a show described on Netflix, give them a call. Yeah. Or you want something done, you know, where it's easier for you to access it on television or anything like that. Figure out who it is that can change that for you and pick up the phone and do, make yep. the call. So how can people get a hold of you, Diane? Well, I first of all want to thank both of you so very much for reaching out to me. I love any time that I can get more information out about descriptive video. I really do. And any questions you have afterwards, let me know for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's online. We're descriptivevideoworks.com. And our phone number and contact information and everything is there. Okay. And my email is diane at descriptivevideoworks.com. Great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it. And it was, it was super interesting. Absolutely. Good. And this is probably going to be one of our best shows. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. So, Ryan, how do people contact us? Well, the easiest way to reach out to us is by visiting the website at www.atbanter.com. Oh, that's pretty sneaky. So you went straight to the website instead of <laughs> the email address, you bastard. All the contact information is on that website. It is. But you can also email us at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com they can follow us on twitter at underscore atbanter what (laughs) (laughs) no they can't (laughs) it's at underscore banter yeah that's right at underscore banter that's that's so awkward I know it is okay anyways it's fine Uh, (laughs) they can follow us on twitter yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I knew it was going to happen sooner so go to the website just all the, the contacts just go to the website <laughs> follow us on Twitter YouTube Facebook Google Plus let us share comments and suggestions 
And you can visit Aroga Technologies at, of course, www.aroga.com. A-R-O-G-A.com. Where there's financing available. And a lovely clearance section. Please check out the clearance section. Christmas is coming. Black Friday is coming. Good excuse to spend money. Uh, what do we got going on next week? You knew I was going to ask you that. I know. I, I think next week. Oh, no. Now we're just going to guess. Well, it's okay. It's okay. I got the episode <laughs> number wrong. You can I got the it. episode number wrong, so I, you can get the guess wrong. I so believe right. next week's guests are Sophia and a colleague of hers talking about vision teaching in education. Oh, is that next week? I believe so. Oh, that'll be a good one. Excellent. Yeah. We've been looking forward to that one. So I got to make sure Steve is here for that. Are they coming in the studio? No, they're out in the Kootenays. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, so it'll be Zoom. All right. Well, that'll be a good one. Yeah, it should be interesting. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us. I have been Rob Minot. And I've been Professor... Professor... <laughs> Way to screw up your joke. Whatever yeah, it's well, be. I'm Ryan. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>